1: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
2: Difficult days lay ahead for Christians and other people of faith and goodwill. Many Christians, unfortunately, look to politics for their solutions or for political messiahs. We've talked about that. We've seen the folly of that because there's only one messiah, and he's not a politician. He's not a political party. And whether by executive order or legislation, our rights to freedom of conscience, our freedom of worship... Are about to be curtailed. I can
0: see the promised land. Though there's pain within the plan, there is victory in the end. Your love is my battle cry. The answer for all my life. Every dragon will fall, the mountains will miss. Every chain of the past you've broken into, all the fear of the lies, we're singing the truth that nothing is impossible with you. Oh, nothing is impossible.
1: Until now, our churches have known little to no real persecution. However... It seems that that is all about to change. The time has come to ask ourselves, are we really ready, willing, and able to suffer for the causes of Christ? Well, hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor at Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so happy that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the broadcast. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's program, we're continuing our series covering the pastoral epistles as Pastor Keith begins to take us through the book of 2 Timothy. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1 as we hear a message that Pastor Keith is entitled, Hanging in when times get tough. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
2: Father, we thank you that in this world, Lord, when times get tough, you show us how to hang in. You show us the mindsets and the heart conditions that we have to cultivate and maintain, the, the worldview, Father, the perspective. So, Lord, as we look into your word today, as we try to live out our faith in this momentary life, Lord, this fleeting life, help us to be enriched by your word, guided by your spirit, Lord, Help us to be people of the book who live out our faith in a way that stands out rather than uh, blends in. A way that is not um, uh, hypocritical or boisterous, Father, but it is humble, respectful, loving, and worshipful. Help us to be more like Christ and less like ourselves with each day that passes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are returning to the pastoral epistles uh, to conclude that series. Uh, We've tried to weave Titus in through this, you know, so Titus is kind of a summary of 1st and 2nd Timothy, and so uh, we didn't actually preach Titus, we might preach a part of Titus at the end of the series, but right now we are moving into 2nd Timothy. And today, Lord willing, we will cover 2nd Timothy 1, 1 through 18, the whole chapter, The message is entitled Hanging In When Times Get Tough. That's also the series title as well. And uh, you can uh, just remember this is part of the larger series, but it has a very special application, particularly in the times in which you and I are living today. And so as we return to the pastoral epistles, we want to remember always that neither Paul nor Timothy were any strangers to hardship or to tough times their ministry. I mean, this was the startup of Christianity as we know it. Uh, This is after the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2, and Christians faced an uphill battle in the culture in which they lived. They were on the wrong side of every moral issue, it seems, Uh, and the government wasn't particularly friendly towards them. And so, uh, you know, this is what we need to understand. This This epistle was written in the toughest of times and Paul's life had changed radically from the time he wrote 1 Timothy, which is somewhere around 62 to 63 AD. And now as we're reading 2 Timothy, his circumstances and the future that he faced, the immediate future anyway, had changed radically. Let me give you some background on 2 Timothy. Between 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, Paul was arrested for a second time and basically charged with being an enemy of the state. Paul had been released from his first Roman imprisonment and then he had written uh, 1 Timothy. But when 2 Timothy rolls around, he's in prison again. His freedom was short-lived, relatively speaking. He was uh, not under house arrest this time. He was, uh, scholars believe he was in the dreadful Mamertine prison. Uh, It's a very filthy prison. They believe he was kept in the lower dungeon of that prison, which was a place normally reserved for people who were about to be executed. Now, Paul was going to appeal to the emperor Nero, but Nero wasn't particularly a friendly guy toward the Christian faith. And this is also written around the time of the Neronian persecution of Christians. And unlike last time, Paul's hope of release, you know, when you read Philippians, he's looking forward to getting out. He's pretty sure he's going to get out. When you read Philemon, kind of the same thing. He, his, his tone is hopeful. But when you read Second Timothy, you get the very real sense that he knows that this epistle, more or less, is going to be his swan song. It's going to be one of the last things that he writes. He senses that his persecution is near. He even talks about it in Second Timothy chapter 4 where he says he's being poured out like a drink offering. Uh, let me read that, just a little excerpt, Second uh, Timothy 4, 6 through 9. He says this, I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge. Will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to those who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon. Paul is aware that the end is near. And he is, you can just, when you read it, you can just sense it and feel it. He's, it's a bittersweet time for him. Because as he told the people in Philippi earlier, whether, you know, to live is, is Christ, to die is gain. And he's very close to his gain Very close to his ultimate reward. And knowing that he's going to leave Timothy on his own, so to speak, he begins to challenge Timothy to remain faithful to his responsibilities, hold to sound doctrine, avoid error, embrace what will certainly be an imminent persecution. Talks about that, you know, difficult times will come. You read more about that in 2 Timothy 4. And Paul reminds Timothy to place his confidence in the Scriptures, to guide him, and the author of those scriptures. Good advice for us in the days ahead. And so providentially, as we begin this study of 2 Timothy, it's appropriate because it's clear that our culture has turned a corner. And it's clear that even the laws will no longer favor us. As you know, last week, the Congress passed for the second time the Equality Act which pretty well lays the groundwork for criminalizing Christianity and other religions as well. And so this is an important time. You know, it's hard enough uh, resisting the educational establishment that indoctrinates our children and college students and young adults. It's difficult to resist the media. It's difficult to resist big tech and its deplatforming and censorship and things like that. But when your faith is on the verge of becoming outlawed in certain areas of it, areas that matter, you know that difficult times are ahead. And it's, it's interesting because it's not just Christians talking about this. As you know, I read widely, or maybe you don't know that, but I read all sides of the equation. And so I subscribe to a newsletter written by a gay activist named Andrew Sullivan. He's a journalist of some, of some scope. And uh, he, uh, he's slightly center-left. He would certainly not embrace evangelical Christianity as we know it. But he wrote an article that I want to read to you from because he's very disturbed about the hostility of the faith, of of the present administration toward Christianity. And so he writes this, and I want you to listen to what he has to say. This is somebody who is center-left. This is somebody who is not an evangelical Christian, This is somebody who would disagree with many of the things that we believe, and here's what he said. He writes, President Biden pledges to remove any protection for orthodox religious freedom and individual conscience in the LGBTQ areas in his proposed Equality Act, which repeals some of the relevant sections of Biden's own Religious Freedom and Restoration Act and also makes sex indistinguishable from gender. Sullivan continues, I wonder if Joe Biden even knows what critical theory is, but he doesn't have to. But Biden's emphatic backing of this illiberal discriminatory project on his first day is relevant. This was written some time ago uh, in January. And those policies are obviously unconstitutional. The federal government cannot actively discriminate on the basis of race, sex, or identity group under the Constitution. It cannot strip women of their rights as a distinct biological class. It cannot void religious freedom for individuals. Notice what he says next. I want Biden to succeed. I want Republicans to, to moderate. I want to lower the temperature. I want to emphasize those policies that really do bring us closer together, even though many may still freely dissent, but you don't have to achieve equal, equality of opportunity by enforcing its antithesis. Now, that's from a left-leaning activist, and he gets it. This law, now passed with a house under the control of the Democratic Party, uh, uh, the Senate, pretty much, with uh, the vice president's tie-breaking vote, and a president who has promised before his election as one of the reasons that one should vote for him that he's going to strip all these institutions of some of their religious protection. This man sees the immorality of it he sees the harm and uh he's against it but let me tell you the difficult days are ahead and what do you are to glean from reading an article like this or watching people argue in favor of this legislation you you glean a couple of things one thankfully there are still some reasonable people who even though they might differ from us ideologically or even religiously still are people of goodwill and they still see the intemperance of these projects. And two, that difficult days lay ahead for Christians and other people of faith and goodwill. Many Christians, unfortunately, look to politics for their solutions or for political messiahs. We've talked about that. We've seen the folly of that because there's only one messiah and he's not a politician. He's not a political party. And whether by executive order or legislation, our rights to freedom of conscience, our freedom of worship are about to be curtailed. And if you don't think so, let me read you a quote from one of uh, the president's advisors talking about this religious protection for churches, for Bible colleges, seminaries, and other religious institutions. There can be no reward nor benefit. No tax break for anyone, any institution, any organization in America that, defi- that, that, that denies the full human rights and full civil rights of every single one of us. You see, the transgendered issues, the LGBTQ issues have been redefined as civil rights. And so for you to say, I disagree, makes you a bigot makes you outside the realm of the law for an institution like us. Now, thankfully, we're trying to change our statement of faith for further protection from these kinds of things. But the bottom line is our religious convictions, the teaching of the historic Christian faith are being criminalized and difficult days are ahead. But that's nothing new for the history of the Christian church. This has been going on for 2,000 years. It'll continue to go on. And whether or not we can say certain things from the pulpit, whether we can Cling to biblical truth or not, this is the way it's always been. This is the way it's going to be. It's just going to become more difficult here in our own country. See, we've been spared all of this for almost 250 years. The rest of the world hasn't, and now we're about to experience this as well. And so in Second Timothy, along such lines, for such a time as this, Paul warns that difficult days are ahead. And his words of exhortation to Timothy are as relevant to us as it was to the Ephesian church back then. So let's look to God's word to find God's will and guidance for the days ahead. So turn your Bibles, if you haven't already, to 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 18. And we're going to look at this passage and try to, to distill and derive five keys for staying strong, for keeping the faith, for staying on track in the days ahead in the face of very tough times indeed. 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 18. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice as well, and now I am sure dwells in you. For this reason, I remind you to fan the flame, to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, in light of these things, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as his prisoner, but share but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us ...to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the house of one Isophorus, try to say that three times, for he has refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the day from the lord on that day as you well know all and ser- all the service he rendered to me at ephesus so what we're seeing here is paul's words to stand firm to to hang in there when the times get tough and he talks to timothy about it because he knows he's going to die and timothy's going to be on his own and timothy's kind of a timid soul and he reminds timothy don't be ashamed be confident you know hang in there you know what the truth is you were raised By godly women. You have an understanding of God's word. And you have a calling. God has raised you up. As he has raised every one of you up here. For such a time as this. So what I want to do. Is to distill and derive five keys. For hanging in there when the times get tough. And the times are about to get tough. And the first key is this. In tough times. You must stay the course. Remembering whom you serve. Remember the God that you serve, his character, his nature. Remember him, no matter what happens in the days ahead. We see this throughout the passage, throughout the chapter. 2 Timothy 1-1, verse 3, verses 7-9. through Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. By the will of God, he's an apostle of Christ. According to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. He serves God in Christ. That's who he serves. That's why Paul does what he does. That's why he is what he is. That's why you are what you are. Verse 3. I thank God whom I serve. As did my ancestors. With a clear conscience. With a cleansed conscience. Without guilt. Without embarrassment. Without shame. As I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. For God gave us not a spirit of fear. But of power. Of love, And this one's big because a lot of people say weird things on the internet. And self-control. This is who we are. This is how we're to be because this is who we serve. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Who has raised us up for such a time as this. Sometimes, like Paul, we feel like we're on our own. We want want to serve God, but we feel like we're just isolated. We're out of step with the culture. We're on the outside looking in. But God has called you to this holy calling. You see that in 2 Timothy 1, 8 and 9. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, but share in the suffering for the gospel By the power of God who saved us and called us, called you to a holy calling. Don't trust your feelings, cling to the facts, cling to what is true. You know, we've all memorized Joshua 1, 8, and 9, and at the end of it, it says, Be strong and courageous, for the Lord is with you wherever you go. Remember who you serve. The Great Commission, at the end of the Great Commission, he says, For lo, for remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age god saved us to utilize us to deploy us to privilege us to suffer hardship as we his servants advance the gospel and the kingdom as his human agents as a means of his grace And so we are going to be called to bear witness to hardship. You know, we have these folks who go out on Thursday nights. Sometimes people aren't very nice to them when they're evangelizing. But they do it anyway because this is what we've been called to do as an act of worship. To bear witness to Christ in the workplace, in the home, in the classroom, on the street. We are not to be ashamed of our privilege, as Paul says in verse 8. Do not be ashamed. We are to remember that we serve a Savior who suffered for us. And a servant is not above his master, nor is a teacher, nor is a student above his teacher. This is the God, remember, who spoke the universe into existence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the God who said, let there be light, and there was light. This is the God upon whom you can cling to, upon whom you can rely in the difficult days ahead. This is the God who sent his son to die in your place. This is the God who puts his spirit in us and enables us to do great things beyond the abilities of our flesh. Remember who you serve. Remember who you serve. You serve God. You are his ambassador. You are his Christian. He has called you. You remember years ago, some of you may, uh, students of history, they had a poster that would say, Uncle Sam wants you, you know. Or some of you in the 70s maybe got a letter that says, Greetings, you have been drafted. Okay? Same difference here. You have been drafted. You have been raised up. You have been called to serve God. Not fickle men and women, but God. Paul writes this in Ephesians 4.1. Therefore, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called because you are the Lord's prisoner, because you are the Lord's servant. Remember who you serve. The first key to remembering how you're going to need to conduct yourself in the days ahead is remembering who you serve. You are a representative of the God Most High, of Jesus Christ, of a God who said, Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. As a God who calls us to humility and to courage and to service.
1: And you can also find links to Pastor Keith's blog, as well as the Out of My Mind podcast. The website is also a great place to connect with us here at Hillside. You can find information on our service times, ministry opportunities, and of course you can browse our calendar of upcoming events. Again, all this and much, much more can be found by visiting our website, hillsidechurch.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time on Grace to Live.